0: Welcome to Grazia Life Advice, Grazia Magazine's podcast. I'm Hattie Crissell and every week I speak to women worth listening to, asking them to share six pieces of advice they really value and the worst piece of advice they've ever received. My guest this week is Carrie Lloyd. I was absolutely thrilled when Carrie agreed to join us. She's a very funny actress and comedian who you may have seen on Peep Show, Have I Got News for You or QI among many others. She's also the creator and host of the Griefcast podcast, where she invites guests to share their experiences of loss and often manages to make you laugh despite the serious subject matter. She joined me with excellent advice on everything from bereavement to pyjamas. If you enjoy listening, do share your thoughts on Twitter or Instagram with the hashtag GraziaLifeAdvice. For now, over to Cariad. You're such an interesting woman. You've got so many irons in the fire. You're an actress. Too many, too
1: many irons in the fire. It's (laughs) hot. It's very hot. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, you're an actress, you're an improviser, you're a comedian, you're a writer, you're a host of the very successful podcast Griefcast, award-winning, I believe. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Um, what's it like having that kind of <laughs> career with so many diverse elements? Oh, it's stressful.
1: Oh, it? Always stressful. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, I joke about it, or I'm always moaning about how stressful it is. But I think um, it's one of those things like I wouldn't want it any other way. Like, I used to um, be a temp for years and years and work in offices on reception. Apologies if I ever worked for you. I was awful. Um, (laughs) I once fell asleep at my own desk and generally woke up with, like, keyboard imprint in my head. But the point is, like, I worked the nine-to-five and it, it just wasn't for me. I just found it just my brain did not function that way and I have quite um a jumpy brain like it jumps around from conversation to conversation and thoughts to thoughts so I think my career reflects that and I work better having lots of little projects and then I don't get bored because if I only do one thing I'm like I'm bored I'm bored yeah so I like that I can yeah do an episode of Griefcast and then go and do uh, ostentatious um my improv show and then go and write a panto that I did last year so it's like whenever you're bored of one thing or it's annoying you you can find something else to do <laughs> it's kind of how i work
0: yeah well very multi-talented i don't think many people have that option to know. do quite as much i
1: think especially in the performing world well actually in many industries you can't really just be an actor anymore or a writer anymore i don't know none of my friends are just one thing so i think all of us have had to go what else am i okay at <laughs> It's
0: like the modern condition isn't it like the do they call it a portfolio portfolio career? or what is it? Emma
1: Gannon calls it, uh, multi-hyphen, yes. multi-hyphener, which I like a lot. Yeah, I think you just kind of have to, don't you? But it's not, I enjoy it. I definitely
0: enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about The Grief Cast, yes. um, which is such a clever podcast. It's such a good idea and it resonates with obviously so many people and you've had some wonderful guests as well what led you to launch the grief cast
1: um so if you don't know grief cast is a podcast where i interview comedians about their experiences of grief and death and i always add in the sentence it's cheerier than it sounds
0: (laughs) and it is because everybody's (laughs) always like
1: oh god um so my dad died when i was 15 and i've spent a long time Talking about it or because I guess the joke I always say is like I joined the club very early. So it's a bit like if you're having a party and you've arrived at like four o'clock in the afternoon. Like I'm here. I've had the snacks. And so as more and more people arrived, I was like, hey, let's talk. I've been here ages. It's shit. You know where the toilet is. I know where the toilet is. Party. Don't eat those ones. They're disgusting. <laughs> that dip is nice. Um, <laughs> always relate grief to dips. <laughs> and um, it was two years ago, just over two years ago. I was just walking along and I just thought, I just thought to myself, oh, all these conversations that I have with people—it's a shame I can't like listen back or I can't share them. You know, you learn different things from talking to different people, and I literally just thought, "Oh, I wonder if I wonder if I should do a podcast." But I'm honestly was like, "Oh, maybe like ten people will listen." Because it's so niche and who's going to want it? It's so depressing. There won't be that many people like me who enjoy those conversations. And then I put four episodes out and it was like,
0: boom, 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 like, Really? Was it immediate? Yeah,
1: immediately I started getting emails. I set up an email beforehand and immediately people were like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> I didn't know anyone else felt like this. I've been having these conversations. I thought I was crazy. I thought I was having a breakdown. I thought I was the only one in my family. Oh, you've made me realise, you know, and... I'm not alone basically and that's why I say at the end of the show like you're not alone because it just made me realise there was so many of us that felt the same thing and because it's taboo as a topic and people don't upset people it's not talked about so you go through feeling very isolated thinking oh I'm probably the only person that laughed when my dad was in the cancer ward or you know wasn't there when so and so died because I was around all these little things that once shared I think make you feel much better.
0: Yeah. What has it been like for you presenting that and having all of these conversations? <laughs> like does it um is it cathartic? Are there times where it's just quite sad?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I often wonder about my life choices. I uh I do things that are quite intense and I often think, why did you do that to yourself? Um it has been extremely cathartic, but it hasn't always been easy. Yeah. The intensity of it can be can be tough. But I found I found it unbelievably helpful for my grief, like unbelievably, because being forced to talk about something weekly, sort of like having your own therapy session every week, really, with all these different people, you know, these brilliant, interesting, they're mostly comedians, but they can be, you know, I've had clowns and writers and producers and, you know, performers, essentially. And it's really helped me process a lot of stuff that I that I hadn't realised needed processing. So yeah, it has been very cathartic, but as with all catharsis, not always easy. <laughs> not yeah. always like, oh, what a breeze. Just spoke to my dad for another hour and a half. Woo, It yeah. feels so great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I can imagine. Yeah. Has it, um, do you feel like it's given you more insight? Well, I'm sure you already had insight, but more insight into what people can do to support other people who are grieving.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like it's just made me realise that it's actually it's quite simple and just being there is really what you have to do and sometimes I think people panic and go well I don't know what being there means it's like you do it's just showing up it's texting it's emailing it's phoning it's dragging someone out for a cup of tea it's arriving unannounced with lasagna like just things that remind people they're not alone because um, the part of your brain that lights up when you're grieving is the same part of your brain that lights up chemically when you're depressed so that feeling is very much of isolation there's no hope I'm not going to get through this and you know grief is not a man- Mental illness at all, but it's it has similar chemical reactions. So it's important to remember, like just reminding someone they're not alone can be like the best thing ever. Really, you don't have to do anything large or fancy or have a lot of money. And one of the greatest things I heard on the show is when Kaylee Llewellyn, who lost six members of her family in a year, and she was talking about how her best friend Matt just came to her house one night and just sat on the sofa and held her hand, and she said we stared at a blank wall all night. But I just wasn't staring at a blank wall by myself. Yeah. And I thought, God, that's it, isn't it? It's just want someone sat on the sofa next to you. Yeah, that's,
0: that's really lovely. Mm. Well, it's a fantastic podcast, and I would Thank highly you. recommend it, especially to anyone who's dealing with grief. Um, on maybe a slightly more upbeat note, sure, um, you, <laughs> for a change. You're also part of the cast of Ostentatious, yes. Which I have seen Ostentatious. It's hilarious. Can you just explain for our listeners what it involves? Yeah, these confusing
1: things I do. Um, Ostentatious is an improvised Jane Austen show. Um, So basically we're in full Regency gear. We have um, a violinist that improvises alongside us as well. And we get a title from the audience. So we might have um, past titles include Mansfield, Jurassic Park... Strictly Come Darcy, um, Darcy and Bingley Forbidden Love, Queer Eye for Regency Guy, (laughs) Pride and Gay Prejudice. See a theme that happens here. Um, What else have we had? Northanger Rabbi, uh, Nobody Puts Bingley in the Corner. These are just examples, (laughs) great title examples. And then we just literally improvise a play in the style of Jane Austen. But it's a very, very silly comedy, really. You don't have to have read Jane Austen, but if you have, you will enjoy it. You'll know, you probably enjoy the costumes 10% more. But yeah, it's just a comedy play completely made up. Um, It is
0: hilarious. Oh, thank you. And you are about to open in London where you're doing a weekly performance. Yes,
1: we're going to be weekly at the Fortune Theatre in London's glittering west end from february the 18th so yeah okay. come and see us every monday it's a
0: must see okay right let's move on to your advice yes
1: how exciting so um the first one comes from the
0: moomins <laughs> tell yes. me about
1: this. um i'm a massive moomins fan i'm obsessed with them my bio used to be like comic actor writer moomin i sort of think i am little my if you know the moomins that makes sense so the <laughs> moomins are there's kids books from a finnish writer called tovi jansen but i mean as ever with scandinavian things uh, it's quite bleak. <laughs> so it's like the opposite of Disney, basically. But um, So this quote is from one of the books, uh, the Moomin books by Toby Yance, the original books. And it's a quote that Little Mai says, and it says, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Which some people I think can see it's quite negative. I suffer very badly from anxiety, so I'm always thinking of the worst. So I just love that quote, because it reminds me that you can hope for the best, but it's all right to at least... Be prepared. (laughs) Like, but what if something goes wrong? Like, you've got your escape plan. Because I'm someone who catastrophizes and overplans, like, all the emergency things I'm going to need to do. So, it reminds me to have balance. So, yeah, I really love that quote because I just think it helps you to see the good and the bad. Because I think sometimes I can either be all bad or I'm like, everything's amazing. This is amazing. So, it reminds me, that both possibilities are there. Yeah. And that's fine.
0: (laughs) And you can still set your sights high while also yeah. maintaining a realistic caution about stuff. Yeah,
1: and I think, nice. especially in my world, which is like very, you know, performing is quite a wobbly, insecure world quite a lot of the time. So, you know, when you go for castings, it's like, you know, hope for the best, but prepare yourself. If you don't get it, yeah. you are allowed to go and buy yourself a top <laughs> to cheer yourself up. So there's your little plan if you come out that room and you think, oh, that was awful. But you can hope for it. Yeah, it's just to remind you There's two sides to every coin. I think it's the same thing. It's just like everything in moderation. It's just a balance because I think if you do have any form of anxiety, your brain either, you know, it's such a sensitive trigger and either normally like everybody's going to die. It's the worst thing ever. Or, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Like literally we're we're all fine. It's like there's not much moderation in my brain sometimes.
0: So your second piece of advice is maybe even more practical than that. Yeah, I'm quite practical lady.
1: (laughs) Very practical. Uh, It is If you see nice pyjamas... Buy them,
0: and why? Why is this something that's? (laughs) (laughs) This is one of my
1: like honestly my life rules. I think I decided it about twenty one. I just love having nice pajamas that make me feel like everything's be alright. And you know what? Nice pajamas hard to come by. Few and far between. Few and far between. Sometimes Mm -hmm. nice print too shiny. Sometimes (laughs) oh so soft. But like terrible pattern makes you feel like a grandma. Mm-hmm. Like oh, sometimes really lovely, but too thick, too hot, can't wear them. Sometimes so pretty, but shorts, my legs are going to stick together. It's going to be weird. <laughs> can't wear them. So I'm constantly on the lookout for a good pajama. And years and years ago, when I was starting out, and I just had like you know no pennies to rub together. If ever I saw a nice pair of pajamas, I would treat myself because I'd be like fuck it, I'm going to say fuck it. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like fuck it. And I remember buying this black floral pair from Topshop that were like 20 quid, but I was like, I deserve nice pyjamas. And do. it's such a simple thing I think you can do if you find a pair that spark joy, as Marie would say, Marie Kondo, I've been watching it a lot, then you should buy them because that thing of like, if you've had a hard day and you're exhausted and you, you know, open your drawers or whatever or pull back your duvet and you see a nice pair and you think, oh, at least I'm gonna. Yes. I'm gonna be cozy. I'm gonna be loved. I'm gonna feel wrapped up and safe and warm.
0: It's comfort. It's isn't comfort, it? and, and it's like a really deserve e- that.
1: Yeah, and it's like a really easy way to do it. I think now yeah. some ladies or whoever listening like to sleep naked. If you like to sleep naked, this advice is not for you. <laughs> I don't know how you sleep naked because what if a monster comes in and grabs you? That's how I feel. <laughs> still, so sure. Something to bear in
0: mind. But yeah. if you're
1: if you're a lady of a chilly disposition as I am, always cold, you know, and you fear the winter and you live in your thermals, oh, I could say yeah, I'd say and you know what? Marks and Spencers. So, really. Yeah. I was going to say what's your top tip is Marks it? and Spencers, but you have to keep on looking. Right. <laughs> they will never you will go in one day and you'll think, Carriad, this is insane. They're all out, They're down to that mid-calf length, which is fashionable now, but not in a ninety. Um, <laughs> but if you keep on looking, I've got a lovely pair of almost Art Deco ones from Marcus Spencer. Oh,
0: really? Yeah, an Art Deco PJ? You've gotta,
1: yeah, you've got to keep an eye at. At out. Topshop, also good. I'm trying to think now. Hush. I had a good pair from Hush, but they didn't wash well, so that annoyed me.
0: Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> okay, good advice. Yeah. Um, Your third piece of advice, I really love this. I subscribe to this fully. Please tell me what it is.
1: So, my third piece is never pretend you know when you don't know. Or, this sort of quote that I've actually stolen is sell your ignorance and buy bewilderment, which I got from a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron which is a book that completely changed my life and made me write my solo show and made me become a performer and um, my family very much values uh, intellect so it's the worst thing you can do is not know so I come from a family where said like oh did you read yeah yeah, I read it. Yeah, I read it. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. Definitely yeah, it. definitely. Yeah, yeah. Do you know that quote by... Or- yeah, I know it. I just can't remember it. It's on my tongue. I can't remember it, but um, I know it. I know it. Or, you know, just doing that. Yeah, yeah. That kind of not listening and just acting like you know everything. And I think when I was in my 20s, I really felt like, oh, I have to know everything. Like, that's what they want. People want you to be clever and they want you to know everything. And as I've got older, my old lady advice is... Um, <laughs> I just like the joy of someone saying to you at, you know, a party or a social situation, like, oh, have you read that? Just going, no, I haven't. Yeah. Tell me about it. (laughs) Like, and they're always shocked because everyone's expecting you to be like, oh, yeah, 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 I know that. Yeah, I've seen it. But then they probably love it as well because then they They, can tell you about it. They love it. They love it because they can tell you about it. And then you can actually learn something. And when I, I love that word of like, you know, to buy bewilderment. Like to be bewildered and, and see that's a positive thing of like, oh, I don't know. Like how exciting, I don't know. And you're going to tell me about it. Yeah. And I think when you rebrand it in your head of like, you're not ignorant, you're not stupid. You're, you know, in love with the world and fascinated and want to learn more. I felt like, oh, that's positive rather than I always tell myself, oh, you're so stupid. You don't know. You should know that. yeah We can't read everything or see everything. There's always going to be something you don't know. And there's nothing worse than what I really hate was when two people do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's good, it's good. It's really good, actually, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I thought it was very clever. Me too. And you think, <laughs> no one's discussing the artwork here, and I mean that in like, terms of all art, like the writing of the film, or they're just two people. The subtext is, we are both clever and right, and we both saw the right We're thing. We're in on it, yeah. We're in on it. And I thought, God, that's so boring, and life's too short. So, yeah, I try and remember, if someone says, oh, do you know? I try and be really honest and think, no, I don't know It's hard. The first couple of times are hard because you'll want to go,
0: yes. (laughs) Yeah, I know it. I've read it. It's so much better. I think that people can get into real problems when they um, are always pretending to know more than they do. And in a work environment, I think that can be really dangerous as well. Because you can end up in a situation where people are relying on you for something that you secretly have no idea how to do.
1: (laughs) We've all been there. We've all been in that situation where you're like, why are they all looking at me like, I know what this is. So if you can just like make it very clear early on you do not know and then people love <laughs> telling you yeah own up own yeah. up it's so you feel so light when you do it it's so refreshing yeah
0: your fourth piece of advice yes um is kind of similar in that it's about not being afraid of yeah being in a bit of a
1: there's um, a theme isn't it yeah. <laughs> not, don't try not to be afraid yeah. um yeah so this is a quote from david bowie who i'm a huge fan of uh, it's quite long but i'll read it if you feel safe in the area you're working, sorry, I'm not going to do David Bellway impression. I'm just going to do my <laughs> <Please> voice. Do. <laughs> if you feel safe, if you feel safe in the area you're working in, you're not working in the right area. Always go a little further into the water than you feel you're capable of being in. Go a little bit out of your depth, and when you don't feel that your feet are quite touching the bottom, you're just about in the right place to do something exciting. I love that quote so much. It
0: worked for David. It worked for David. (laughs)
1: It worked for David. And I mean, people will throw Tim Machine and Labyrinth at me, but I stand by Labyrinth. (laughs) He was sometimes out of his depth. It didn't always pay off, but like I'd say nine times out of ten. He made it work. Yeah, I just love the idea that to remind you not to be safe, to get out of your comfort zone. But um, I think we can all be very, like again, about wanting to be right and going, well, I'm really good at this. I'm just going to do this. And um, when I first started improvising, it was such a revelation to me that you know improv really encourages you to just be crap just be crap and it's okay and actually the funniest performances you'll see is when people are very honest and open and like yeah this is I'm bad at this (laughs) it becomes so much more funnier than the pretense of I know what I'm doing and so I just really love that reminder that if you can't feel your feet touching the touching the ground or touching the, you know the bottom of the pool you're probably in the right place I think that's being out of your depth is such a thing that I think we're also afraid of was actually that again rebrand it in your head and be like oh amazing I'm yeah. surrounded by really intelligent people who all seem to know a lot more than me oh amazing I'm gonna learn so much I'm in the right place I can only get better rather than being like oh, thank god everyone around me is at the same level as I am <laughs> just, Ooh, I'm now a queen of these people and it's hard it's so much about ego and wanting to you know keep yourself in a place that feels safe and the world can seem very threatening at the moment especially and I think it's just important to remind yourself like creatively the best things happen when you don't feel safe and that's definitely what happened with grief costs. you know like I I was very nervous about putting that out I thought god this is no one is going to listen to this but I was like well if no one listens it doesn't matter <laughs> no one will know it was a bad idea and it felt very dangerous to do that and I was so glad I made that leap
0: yeah. I think um you talked about improv there and I just think improv comedy is the most for those of us who've never done it, certainly seems like the most terrifying <laughs> situation you could put yes, yourself in. Yes. And I, I actually have friends who've done it, um, done improv classes as a way of kind of building confidence. Yeah, it's you know.
1: amazing for like anyone doesn't have to be performers like people call it a bit of a cult because once you are into it you're like everyone should do this this is amazing and I definitely think just watching people failing and surviving because that's what improv is you get up not knowing and sometimes the scene is crap but it's fine you sort of get really practiced at things not working so and that sort of bleeds into your everyday life as well so you know when writing's not working or a meeting's not working or you know you're just like oh well yeah. You get really
0: good at just blowing things away. Like, oh, I guess, I guess it didn't work. <laughs> Do you feel that you're better at um, thinking on the spot thanks to your improv training? So much better. Like, it really... That
1: muscle of being able to think very quickly on the spot. Like, there's been so many times in my life I thought, thank God I'm an improviser. <laughs> like, just yeah. being able to very... Quickly react to something in a calm fashion and not panic. I think it's a good skill.
0: Yeah. Well, that's your reward for pushing through the The pain, The pain and the fear, yeah, yeah. Which most of us would just find it too scary to do. (laughs) Um, Your fifth piece of advice is a an ingenious and practical tip. Please tell me what it is.
1: Um I asked bit what about this, I hope, I hope you enjoy it. You can hand wash a lot more things than the labels say. So true. So it's
0: not all need to be dry cleaned.
1: No, <laughs> well, I don't know if they're in with the dry cleaning industry. If that's what the it's racket conspiracy. is. Yeah. yeah. There's a performer half of me and there's another half that's like sort of like not even nineteen fifties housewife. I'd sort of like eighteen, fourteen half housewife. And um I really love washing i just love doing washing guys i love it i just love i love putting the powder in I love the smell and i've been hand washing for years and i've met so many people like oh god i I can't hand wash And you think what you wash your hands like it's the same thing you just put so this is my tip okay if it says dry clean this what i mean like don't judge a book by cover basically like things aren't always what they (laughs) appear to be the owls are not what they seem so if it says dry clean even if it's silk You can probably hand wash it. I hand wash my silk stuff all the time, guys. Really? Yeah.
0: Do you wash it cold?
1: Always cold. Yeah. This is the rule. Unless you're an experienced hand washer and you think, I know that jumper can take it. In which case, you can do a warm, lightly warm. But (laughs) first first for beginners, cold. If you're a super beginner, buy the special hand wash stuff. Me, I'm Maverick, mate. I just chuck in a squidge of fairy non-bio. No. Yep, hand wash with it.
0: Oh my God. I did
1: that with a silk shirt just yesterday. Do you you ever have a disaster, though? I've had one disaster and I've been hand washing a long time. Um, Do you know what else I do? I hand wash them in the bath or the sink. Then I put them in my machine for a quick spin. Yep. And I just, but you just do really quick. 10, 20 seconds, switch that machine off. But then you have to so get them clever. out
0: immediately. Yeah, because you know when they're like dripping wet. Yeah, because I, I usually squash them between a couple of towels at that point. But, oh, that's but your good. Sounds a lot less. No,
1: the towels is work. good for um, if that's very delicate. Because some things you can't, I wouldn't risk putting the machine. But if it was like a chunky jumper from mm, Topshop, it's very it's, hard to
0: squeeze the water out. It's very
1: that. hard to squeeze. I would spin it for 20 seconds. You put it on spin and then you just press the off button really quickly. So it's just got rid of the excess. Yeah. And then you hang it up to dry.
0: I love this I feel like you could start some sort of household tips oh I mean it could be your next podcast maybe if you get sick of doing the grief class, me and Mrs Hinch talking about
1: what we do I'm obsessed with Mrs Hinch so many good tips just love a tip I just love a tip I also just like the idea like you don't have to do what people tell you to do but I would also say if a label says 40 degrees or 30 degrees obey that like the law
0: well don't go in for a 60 degree
1: no I or even if it's 30 I will not 40 it no I'm very very careful about my clothes okay
0: (laughs) I mean, I just, it just feels like there's so much more to say. But I know. So we'll start on. the
1: second Grazia Cleaning Advice podcast. Yeah. Oh, God, I'd love that.
0: Um, your sixth piece of advice, more seriously, yes. is about yeah. grief.
1: Yes, this is my life. Swerve turn. Um, yeah, my sixth piece of advice is grief is not something you get over, brackets, in my experience, because some people will feel differently. Um, when I started Griefcast, I think uh, I think it was like 18 years since my dad had died when I started it. And I felt very guilty that um, I was still sort of upset about it. I felt sort of a bit embarrassed and a bit like, "Oh God, I'm such a weirdo. Can't believe I still think about it." And then, obviously, after doing it, you know, I get emails from people who say, "Oh, it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and I'm st- I'm still sad about it." And the more I read about it, the more I realised that this idea that it's something you go through, it's the idea that something that ends is just not true. Mm. And I found that so liberating <laughs> because I feel like. If you've lost someone, it's very hard to explain to people who haven't lost someone why you might still be upset. And I think if we can start changing that narrative, then your friends and family or, you know, people unaffected by it wouldn't be so surprised that at the fifth anniversary you're still crying. Because I hear a lot of stories from my guests and from listeners who say, oh, you know, my friends are saying I should be over it or they're a bit, they're a bit worried that I'm kind of, you know, still depressed or milking it or like what's wrong with me. And I get a lot of emails from people who are in a relationship saying, oh, my boyfriend's saying he's kind of surprised I'm still upset. Or my wife is saying, why am I still crying? And it's so hard if that narrative is out there of like, why aren't you through those five stages? Right. Now, the five stages of grief are bollocks, in my opinion. <laughs> it was invented in the 70s. It was written about one essay. And it was about people who were diagnosed with terminal diseases. So it wasn't about people who... were were left behind it was designed to say if if you tell someone they've got cancer they will go through denial anger you know all of these stages that we're familiar with and then it got twisted into grief and then it got twisted into oh it's people who are grieving they'll go through five stages now that's not to say you won't go i think if you have experienced grief you will feel denial and anger and whatever the other ones are i don't care anymore guys Mm -hmm. um and or bargaining and you know you you will have those stages but it's a constant cycle. There isn't a straight path that you yeah, go it's through. Kind of linear. It's not linear. Take that one off. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, like, life is linear. So we, we try and match our emotions to that. And that's not the case. And the model now is much more that um, grief is something you live with it's like this big squiggly mess and then your life grows around it in a circle Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean the squiggly mess isn't there anymore it might fade it might change it might get smaller but it's still there it's still 100% there and anything that triggers you know a memory or an anniversary or someone who looks like them will bring that squiggly mess right up to the surface again as if it was yesterday so I think it's just it's just so important for people to realize like they're not crazy if they're still having tough times or they're sad and my analogy that I quite like is when you have a child people don't say to you god they're four you still care for them (laughs) get over it really you still want me to see a picture of them at their sixth birthday I know you have a child and it's like if you lose a a parent or a sibling or a child you know just because it's been four years since your dad or mum died doesn't mean that you're like oh yeah you couldn't really give a shit anymore it's like
0: it's still really it's it's almost like rather than an event it's more like it bereavement just changes you
1: yeah it fundamentally changes you fundamentally yeah. and it's you know and i am you know even in saying this there'll be someone out there who says well i'm i'm absolutely fine and it was years ago i don't think about it great but there's also other people on the scale who who feel bad that mm. they still feel bad and feel like they they're doing it wrong and i just want people to realize like there's no wrong mm. it's just like if you're still sad 20, 25 years on,
0: ten years on, five years on, whatever. If you're still sad, you're still sad. That's okay. Absolutely. It's just my, another. Sp- yeah. My um, my nana died when I was two, and um, this Christmas my mum, and I, so I'm now thirty-five. Mm. This Christmas my mum teared up on Christmas morning yeah. and got quite emotional, and you know, it's just it doesn't that doesn't go away. It's your mum. No. You exactly.
1: Know. It's your mum. Love you can them forever, and you can be sad and have that emotion, and if it's allowed to be there without judgment. You just work through it and think, oh, well, I was sad and I'm all right. And I'll be, you know, tomorrow I'll be less sad. But it's that thing of like, oh God, why am I sad? This is so awful. I'm not over it. Like, I was like, you're never going to be over it. It's just going to come and go. Yeah. Again, rebranding how you think about something so that you don't feel guilty
0: for feeling it. Yeah. I'm sure that a lot of people will take a lot of comfort from, from hearing that. And- <laughs>
1: Guys, I'm 20 years in. I'm still talking about it. Don't feel bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, finally, we have the worst piece of advice you've ever received. <laughs> this is a real stinker, actually. So. Oh, bless. <laughs> Tell me what it was.
1: So, um, the worst piece of advice I ever received was um, from a, a PR in Edinburgh. So, when you do the Edinburgh Fringe, the f- f- comedy fringe, uh, you often have uh, PR because, you know, you need to get reviewers in and you need to get your posters in places. And so, it's a very common part of Edinburgh. And the year that I was doing my first ever solo show, I was doing another show with some friends which was at like a you know it was a bit it had more money behind it it a better venue and you know i was doing my my little show was on the free fringe and i was doing everything i had no agent i was producing i had no pr it was just like me and literally a suitcase of costumes and this person turned around to me and said never do the free fringe no one gets nominated on the free fringe and, you know, I wasn't doing it to get... I'm nominated Is There's these big Edinburgh Comedy Awards. It's kind of like... a used to be the Perrier, but now it's called the Edinburgh Comedy Award because they don't sponsor it. You're keeping up good. Um, <laughs> so she said it to me in, like, June, and my little heart was like, oh, it was really hard at first. I was like, oh, have I made a mistake in doing this it's show so and yeah. doing this thing? And then it was good because immediately I thought, I'm not doing it to get nominated. Why? Is she, why is she saying that? What a strange thing to say. So I just brushed it off so, and I was like, oh, okay, well, thanks thanks for your thoughts I didn't ask for. And then irony of ironies, guys. I did my show. It went extremely well. I got amazing word of mouth and I ended up getting nominated for Best Newcomer. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I could be super smug now. I mean, if I hadn't, I'd be in pieces. She was right. But it, it just made me really think that um, if I'd listened to her, if I'd allowed her to dishearten me, it could have been really bad. And again, it's that thing of like, hope for the best you know it's that thing of like sometimes you don't know what's around the corner and that can be fucking terrifying but equally can also be wonderful and to just remember that not everybody knows what they're talking about you know they were a very important person in terms of like edinburgh comedy and they had done a lot of work at edinburgh and it would be very easy for me to go oh well you know they know they know and i get a lot of emails from people sometimes asking for advice about you know edinburgh or podcasts or and they always say well i've asked so and so and i've asked so and so and i was like what do you want to do? Right. I think just following, like just do what you want to do and fuck what anyone else says. Like yeah. they might be Trust wrong. Trust your judgment. Yeah, because they might be so wrong. Now they might be right if they're a doctor and they're advising you to like quit smoking I think maybe go with it that's your opinion but yeah, I've yeah. actually done my own
0: research I'm going to trust
1: it. my gut here and say I love smoking and I think it looks pretty cool so you know yeah when it comes to science listen to science but in terms of creativity I think it's we can get so caught up in what's the right thing to do or what other people say or what other people think and if you just do what you want to do because they're they're often wrong
0: yeah well that's a great note to end on. Um, thank you so much for thank being you. a guest. You've been fantastic and I hope everybody will go and listen to Griefcast ah, yes. right away. Cheerier
1: than it sounds, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much to Carriad, and if you have a chance to see Ostentatious I highly recommend it. It runs weekly from February the 18th to July the 22nd at the Fortune Theatre in London. If you like the Grazia Life Advice podcast, please help us out by subscribing, rating it, reviewing it or sharing it. See you next week for more advice from women worth listening to.